Okay, well, let's, do, let's do a bit of review of what we talked about on our first call. What did you get out of it? Um, funnily enough, my meditation was a lot better. <laughs> I, I also, one thing I forgot to tell you last time was, you know that breathing you did, you like about two, two, two and a half minutes. It's like um, you, you breathe in and then you sigh out. Uh-huh. That's, that's amazing to the, for my meditation. I try and do it before and you know, I try and, uh, I haven't done it so far this morning, but I try and do it about three times a day. I notice the whole brain area just is lighting up and I feel a lot calmer, you know, mood's better. Um, and basically, basically the meditation is, is like light years. To me, it's, it's, it's a massive difference. Yeah, um, thank you for, for seeing that directly. Okay. It's hard for me to talk about it, and then the students don't quite get it. Mm-hmm. But um, the word anapana is mm-hmm. exactly the same word as pranayana that is used in the sense of pranayana yoga. Mm-hmm. And um, ana is the in-breath, and pana is the out-breath, but in pranayana, it's the out-breath is prana, and ana is the in-breath. So pranayana and anapanasati are the same word. Okay. Yeah. okay. And that um, this, the whole point of, of breathing and breathing techniques have been part of um, the Indian subcontinent um, practices for millennia now. And mm-hmm. that uh, the Buddha picked up on uh, Anapanasati uh, in ways that hasn't been picked up on yet with, with Western medicine. What they went for instead was something that could be sold to where good breathing is free. No one can make any money off of it. <laughs> but what they can make money off of is exercise equipment. And the value of exercise equipment is people start breathing better. And so in a way, it's a bait and switch. It's a scam. (laughs) And that scam has been going on for quite a long time. Um, I'll give you several examples of it. In the 1970s, there was a major amount of research that was done over a large group of people. Uh, probably in the thousands, and that um, there was five groups uh, of people. One was a control group, another one that was doing psychotherapy with psychiatrists only. Uh, There were those who were seeing psychiatrists but were taking medication. Then there was the whole thing of group therapy and group psychology in those days, And then the fourth was exercise. And the target audience was depression. What is the best cure for depression? Medication, individual therapy, or uh, doing nothing at all with the control group, or uh, exercise. Guess which one won? 
Exercise. Exercise. Exactly so. And the pill pushers did not want that information out. <laughs> the psychologists did not want that information out. The doctors did not want that information out. And so the information from that was uh, um, was squelched. But that the manufacturers of sporting equipment utilized that because it was talking about exercise. Mm -hmm. But um, a better way of looking at it is that it has to do with breathing. And that exercise is one of the things that we do with breathing, but there's a lot of it. Here's an example of it is the guy is sitting at work in the afternoon and he gets drowsy and he can't focus on his work. And so he gets up and he goes to the water fountain and gets a, a, a drink of water. When he comes back to his desk, now he can focus for about five or ten minutes. Why? Because he energized his, his, uh, his breathing. He got up, he moved around, he circulated things. But after he sat back down, he went back to the, no the normal not getting enough air kind of breathing. And so his mind gets dull again. We also know that um, one of the characteristics of old age is that people get tired, almost as if they get mm -hmm. tired of living. But what we're looking at generally is during the night, when people are getting uh, old in years, then the breathing gets very shallow so that the body is not really rejuvenating itself during the night. So when they wake up, they wake up tired because they're not getting enough air. Now, uh, there is quite a lot of reference to this in various religious literature. So this is something that has been known throughout the ages for a long time. And yet people don't practice it enough and part of the reason for that is is because one deep breath is not enough we have to remember to keep doing it and keep doing it uh -huh. and that's the quality then that we begin to understand that doing a lot of exercise only means that you're breathing a lot mm -hmm. but then there is another study that did make big time and this was in the heyday of tobacco in the united states when uh, the government was finding out all of the stuff that was wrong with it. The tobacco companies were fighting back big time to not lose their market share. And so one of the studies, and actually it wasn't one study, this was their favorite way of studying. And it's like this, that people who smoke less than five cigarettes a day are actually generally more healthy than your average person on the street who's a non-smoker but after it goes over that limit of five and now 10 and now 20 cigarettes a day it's absolute poison so what's the difference is it the overload of the uh, tobacco and the products in it or is it the fact that when people are only smoking a little bit they will take a deep breath an inhale <laughs> and that's why it has the advantage that it does. Mm, that's interesting. 
<laughs> never thought of that. Never. But what? Pardon? I've never thought of, I've never really thought of that when they. I mean, like, we've heard the sort of stories of the the tobacco companies pushing the agenda of uh, its its health benefits, but in terms of um, yeah, the actual you're actually deeper breathing for a period. Yes. And so this is actually an integral and deep part of Anapanasati. In fact, the whole practice is named after this. It's also step one of Anapanasati is that deep, long in-breath and deep out-breath. That that's the first part of the, uh, of the instructions on practicing is to understand when we're breathing in that it's a long in-breath and to understand when we're breathing out that it's a long out-breath. This is the foundation of practice. During that time of a long in-breath and the out-breath, there will actually be more time to do more things. But in all cases, we want to at least come back to that point so that you know when you're breathing in that this is an in-breath. And it has all the benefits of taking an in-breath. And when we're taking an out-breath, then we take on or enjoy all the benefits of breathing out. And so that cycle is like taking in something really fresh and really new and something really marvelous. And then the out-breath is like reach out to, mm -hmm. to exhaust, to exhale, to get rid of it all. And keeping that process going is enormously beneficial, and yet uh, it, it's to be practiced. And for some reason or another, and in fact, I know the reason or another, it comes from perhaps a book you might have heard of. It's called the Vasudhimaga by uh, uh, Acharya Buddhaghosa somewhere in the 5th century. So you've actually heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I've um, um, uh, it's quite uh, quite popular in Sri Lanka, isn't it? The uh, yeah, it's on my father on my father's desk. I've never touched it, by the way. <laughs> so don't worry, I, I haven't read it. <laughs> I've heard what what it was doing, you know, to the, you know the the teachings. Well, I've had the marvelous experience of deep study of it, followed by having the book taken away from me, <laughs> quite literally by a monk. <laughs> okay. Um, that, in fact, the Basudi Maga has a lot of magic in it that was never intended to be there. That Buddhaghosa himself was more of a Brahmin. He was more of a scholar. He was, it's like trying to teach someone driving from a book. That's what um, the yeah, analogy... But has never driven. But has never driven. That's right. the, uh, the analogy and, I, I picked up. Okay. Well, that's exactly how most people practice meditation, is by reading a book. Yeah. <laughs> and that goes way back. Well, it's actually in the Vasudhimaga that uh, the idea of not trying to control the breath, but just being mindful of it. Mm. And, that's, and that has actually been practiced for centuries in certain areas. 
mostly in Burma and in Sri Lanka, mm. but that other places in the Buddhist world have not, um, let us say, taken that, that detour that Anapanasati actually talks about the long, deep breath. Okay. And that there is only one way to have a long, deep breath, and that is when we're actually controlling it. Mm. I've never heard that. In- because the other one, the, the, the one, like you say, the Anapana, it's natural breath. That's what it's being described as, not forceful or you're conscious of it in terms of you're actually, no, no control was the word. All right. So let's look at the difference, because when people hear the word natural, they automatically transform it into normal. We're not looking anymore for a normal breath, the normal breath that most people take, because it's not adequate. We need a really natural breath instead. Yeah, Yeah. we've forgotten how to breathe naturally. (laughs) Exactly. We need to learn how to breathe naturally. Because we breathe normally, and that's actually in a shutdown mode that has to do with uh, fear. Fear, we go into a state of uh, uh, fright or flight preparation, but the initial thing that we do is freeze. For instance, in the old, old days, uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago, where things actually were dangerous, that whenever Mm. danger was seen, the human was stopped. Why? Because generally the predator's eyesight is not as keen. So the, um, uh, the human's best defense is seeing his, his predator before the predator sees him. That actually works very well for teenagers driving in automobiles that we practice. And that is, you're out there on the street, you better know the cop before he knows you. <laughs> you keep your eyes open. You're watching for the cops because they've got a whole lot more cars to look at than, but you've only got one to find. So you keep your eye on that cop car. <laughs> but they don't do that nowadays, and so they get stopped. In the old days, you don't get stopped if you know it's a cop car. You can take care of it before he sees you. Well, that's quite normal. That's the survival instinct, in fact. Mm-hmm. But what we do in, when we see that danger is that we normally freeze. Well, now let's fast forward back to normal society nowadays, and uh, you're living in England. Yeah. Um, for, uh, where in England are you? Are you in Maidstone, London? Maidstone in Kent. It's a nice, it's the, the greeny bit of England, the nice, the... the... You know the, the bit that juts out just after London on the... Okay, <laughs> the bottom right corner. Right. That's that's a relative. That sounds like a uh, a relatively up to a very safe place for people to live. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's not as. Then uh, why is everybody who lived there afraid? (laughs) Don't ask me. I'm quite happy. Um, (laughs) I'm okay staying indoors. You know, you know, taking my precautions, like you said last on the last video. So I'm 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 generally you know probably seen it before. You know. Okay, so now we're looking at that part of the breathing problem that people have is because of their emotional state. And so we go into shutdown mode, especially when we're afraid of things, when in fact there's nothing to be afraid of. And so 
exactly what we do with with that. And this is a big point that the Buddha made in several suttas, and then there's a, a long sutta about it. Only one topic, and that is fearlessness. That we become fearless, which means we can continue to breathe. We don't have to shut down. We don't have to close off. We don't have to be afraid. We're fearless. And that's an attitude that's to be developed, the attitude of a winner. And you know that attitude, right, noble attitude, is one of the eightfold noble path factors. Isn't that interesting? So when we start to apply the Eightfold Noble Path Factors to Anapanasati, we have this winning combination that, that, go, that takes us through uh, with, with the development of uh, these skills, that each one of these are skills to be developed. And as we develop the skills, we gain confidence that we can do this. And so that attitude begins to change. The attitude of being a victim that is afraid of things into the attitude of being a lion, that we're the boss here. <laughs> and that the most important quality of that has to do with, well, who's in charge of my life? The way that I talk, uh, I talk about it is in the sense of everyone is an emperor of his own pile of dirt. Yes. The question is, are you going to be uh, buried under your pile of dirt? <laughs> are you be going to be scrambling trying to get out of it? Or are you going to be sitting on top of your world, sitting on top of your pile of dirt? Mm -hmm. But most people, in fact, I was just talking to a guy today about this, that he's actually wanting something out of his meditation. And we began to talk about emptiness. That in fact, this pile of dirt that we're sitting on top of, now that we really see it and we've climbed on top of it, it really is nothing. Nothing much to it. That it was a big deal when I was buried under it, but now that I'm on top of the world, there's not much there. <laughs> and so there's not much to expect from it. That in fact, getting our mind in a state to where we are the champion is actually most of the goal, if we can think of it in, in goal. But another way of thinking is that someone who is really, really strong and powerful doesn't have to go around proving it all the time. He knows. It's the guy who's not quite sure of himself that goes around trying to prove himself. In fact, that's a typical... Um, plot in a western movie that the old gunslinger has killed so many he's so fast and so he hangs up his gun out of disgust only to be chased by one young gunslinger after another that's trying to get a name for themselves by taking on the old dude and they all get shot <laughs> and so um, this is basically what we're looking at is, is that when we do have that confidence, when we do have that assurance on the inside that we can, in fact, manage our mind, we wind up now being the emperor. And that, that emperorship then becomes part of the way that we relate to the world in a new way, that we're no longer a victim of the world. We're no longer a victim of our own pile of dirt that we're now actually the champion of it 
This is what we mean by right noble attitude. Because most people are um, in a victim state. Uh, basically, we could say that the basic state that people are in is in a state of doubt. And that yeah. doubt is the first question that, that, the, that is asked is, who made this mess? <laughs> Which is really another question would be, who's going to help me clean up my mess? And so this is the source of so many snake oil salesmen, so many charlatans, yeah. so many doctors, so many gurus. Yeah, we set themselves up so that they can um, uh, be in a position to profit from people who have not figured out that the job of fixing up their mind is theirs and theirs alone. No one can fix your mind but you, but you can. And this is the first level of doubt that people go through. And that is, who can I get to help me out of the mess I've made? And when we finally come to the conclusion, no, nobody's going to help. I got to do it myself or it's not going to happen. That is almost a tragedy for people. That can be a low spot when you figure out nobody, not even meditation is going to help. Not this guru or that Buddha or nobody, nobody's going to help. That's hard to take. Mm -hmm. Until we come to the second noble truth to realize, in fact, that is the realization of the second noble truth that I may dismiss. That the second noble truth of Moha Lobahandosa means that each individual one of us is that greed, the one that's in this mind, that ill will, the part that's in this mind. We can't blame society. We can't blame Obama. We can't blame Trump. We can't blame uh, the prime ministers of this or that country. That this is, in fact, a personal issue. And so once we understand that, now comes even a bigger doubt. And that bigger doubt is now that I recognize there's nobody's going to fix this but me. Now the question arises, yeah, but am I up to the task? Can I do it? Mm -hmm. And then eventually, then the third doubt to be eradicated is, if I am up to the task and can do it, do I have the tools that I need to do the task? And once we eradicate the doubt about the tools that we have and our own ability to do it, now we've got that winning combination, that can-do attitude and the right tools that we're good to go. We're all this is what it takes. Okay, so that now let's look at that second kind of doubt, because this is the part that takes a long time to work through to get the mind. Uh, basically, we're working through sati and right effort and and coming over and over again to that point that the Buddha said when he was uh, under the bow tree, he had to fight with Myra. And the way that we talk about doing it is, aha, I see you, Myra. Aha, I see you. In the sense of what the mind is doing. We're actually beginning to look at what the mind is doing. 
when we recognize it, we can see what the mind is doing and we can change what the mind is doing. And we practice that over and over again. That starts to build confidence that I, in fact, uh, had one time that I got out of my, my misery. I can get myself out of my misery over and over again. All I have to do is these few points of the Eightfold Noble Path. And that is I have to remember to come out of my stuff. I have to take the effort to come out of my stuff. Once I'm out of my stuff, I can congratulate myself for having come out of the stuff. And we practice that over and over and over again. And so in that regard, Anapanasati and the Eightfold Noble Path are intricately related and that some of the skills in one are actually part of the skills of another. And that the key ingredient there is sati. Anapanasati and satipatthana and sati on the Eightfold Noble Path and sati is also a factor of the sambojana. It's the first factor of enlightenment. It's all over the teachings of the Buddha. And that is that this practice is in fact a practice we have to do it over and over and over and over again. Because the natural tendency of the mind is to go back into the old habits. And so we have to practice this. This is actually not magic. This is actually very practical. And so by practicing this way, we uh, develop these skills. And the skill then would be sati. That's the skill to be developed. Uh, being able to gladden the mind in the sense of, aha, I see you, Myra. That's a skill to be developed in the sense that we're able to see Myra in various ways. That in the beginning, the first kind of Myra we see is that the mind has just wandered away from the breath, and the intention was to watch the breath. Well, where did it go? Well, it went into Myra. So we begin to understand it like that. But later we begin to see Myra as anxiety, tension, fear, those kind of things, the feelings. But we also see Myra in the sense of wholesome and unwholesome thoughts. That we begin to uh, uh, intend to have wholesome thoughts and we intend to no longer have unwholesome thoughts. Now, uh, possibly the way that we can think of unwholesome thoughts are junk thoughts. Those are likely to go anywhere. And if we wander into the past, there's surely something back there that I screwed up on that I'll remember. And now I feel all bad again, all over again. Okay. And that's especially true. This is actually an important part of the noble path is that we have to learn to stay out of the past. Because as we progress along the path, our standards get very high. We expect things from ourselves now that we didn't before. Our morality base goes way up because we don't want anything. We're not out there hurting people to get what we want. But we didn't have that kind of standard in the past. Which means if we start reminiscing in the past, we're going to run across every piece of junk that I ever did. <laughs> Hello, Tam just came home. So that's that's what happens is is that we need to learn to stay out of the past, and not only that, but by staying out of it, 
and staying more in the in the present moment, that means that now the memory base that we're building up that we access is more of a current one to where most people they stop growing kind of it at late childhood so they wind up staying children their whole lives because they're not being in this present moment they're not being here now and so as we spend more time as a dhamma dude practicing dhamma that means that we're staying more and more in the here now which then becomes more of a basis of how we think in other words, if I grumble around my whole life, then everything that happens, I will grumble over it. But if I start developing the habit of smiling and joking, then when I run in across something, the smiling and joking is now the new habit rather than the grumbling. So staying out of the past then is a major part of the practice. And it, in fact, we can think of that the past and future kind of sums up the entire group of hindrances. So, you know, there, you probably heard the hindrances uh, in the Pali, it's Panch Nirvana, the five things that slow us down or prevent us from being happy. And these things happen in the moment, in the mind. And when we're free of those hindrances, that means now we have freedom, freedom to feel the way we want to feel, freedom to feel the way that we're training, feeling the way that we uh, are aspiring to, rather than being dragged back down into the, uh, the hindrances of the, of the mind, and most of them have to do with the past. Another one would be restlessness. Restlessness gives anxiety. Uh, there is a feeling of fear, and fear gives rise to anger. And um, these kind of feelings and whatnot, we'll study more when we, when we talk about Paticca Samuppada and the four modes of clinging and the, uh, the worlds that we create with this, with this clinging. But in the beginning, we're are uh, going to just stay at that surface of saying that whenever the mind has wandered away from the breath, that's hindrance enough. Okay. And our job is to come back to the breath and stay with the breath. And then the mind will wander away again. Never mind, start again. Come back to the breath and start again, over and over again, with the confidence and the joy of, aha, I was able to catch it again. Aha, I see you, Myra. And so we start to develop that gladdening of the mind over and over again that I see what's going on. I see what's going on. So we begin to look and investigate closer and closer. In that regard, we begin to experience the mind in deeper ways than we have before. Yeah, you've got a question. I was going to ask, it's like, um, you, you know, when you get that hindrance or whatever that comes up and you say, aha, you then delve into it and so let's say is it a likable feeling or whatever and you know it's a nice thought or a bad thought or do you actually just just is it just the recognition of it I've, i spotted you in the beginning it's recognition because what that recognition is is drawing out of it you see when we're in it there's no recognition 
an example of that would be sometimes you can be in a building and you can just hard to see that it's on fire. But you can get outside the building and you can see, wow, yeah. this thing is on fire. <laughs> is, um, when you when you do that, does it, you know, uh, does it brighten the mind a bit? Because I'm sure because you're, you're putting in that energy to say, aha, I caught you, Mara. Because mo most of the other ones, they'll tell you to like either, you know, ignore it and come back. So it's a lower energy. So you put in a little bit more when you when you do that into the brain. The way we were taught in twin was to um, don't label it, don't dwell on it, and just, just let it pass. Uh -huh. um, well, I've, I've got it's there, and then just let it be, and just let it dissolve. That's the and just just carry on with your uh, metta. That's the approach. All right. Know? What you're saying then is that we're going to watch it fall off the table. No, not in that Out sense. Out of the it's... mind. We're going to watch it fall off of the table of the mind. We're going to let it go. All right. There's another way of thinking it is, is that we're going to put something else on the table, even if that just shoves that old stuff off onto the floor. Yeah. Okay. What is it? The new thing that we're going to put in the mind is the thought, aha, I see you. Okay. 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 That's the new thought and that's the gladdening of the mind. So we can look at it from two different perspectives of the teaching of the Buddha. One is looking at it directly as Anapanasati has this step in it, step 10 of gladdening the mind. And we also have that story from Aha, I See You, Mara, that comes from the time when the Buddha was at Bodh Gaya, figuring out his mind. Basically, what we're going to do is sit in our own Bodh Gaya and figure out our own mind, just like the Buddha did, by saying, Aha, I see you. That, that recognition or seeing now is what's occupying the mind rather than the hindrance itself. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's say then that the hindrance is, is I'm thinking about the argument that I had with Aunt Susie yesterday. And then I say, wait a minute. I see you, Susie. I see you, anger. I don't have to think about the anger and the argument that I had with her yesterday. I can sit here and enjoy my moment instead. So I take a deep breath and I say, Boy, I'm glad that Aunt Susie is gone. <laughs> She's out of the mind now. And how does she get out of the mind? Was because we put something new in the mind. And that new thing that we put in the mind was um, the right effort. Or uh, this, this thing of, aha, I see you. It's, so now we've changed. We are no longer lost in thought. Now we have just sent up a player. So we know what's going on now. And in the very, very beginning, that's why the breath is used as the anchor so that the student can know the difference between is he watching his breath or is he not watching his breath? That's easy yeah. enough to fix, figure out. Later, we're going to use that same technique to figure out, am I watching my anxiety or am I letting it grab me by the throat? Or am I watching my thoughts or am I going to allow in unwholesome thoughts? So we start by watching the, uh, um, the, the breath. 
and taking good deep breaths. But as we quickly progress, we start taking other objects of things that are worthy of attention. Right. Okay. Yep. All right. And also uh, the way of going is in the sense of going in the direction of be here now. So the thoughts that we want to have are going to be more thoughts of what's happening right now. Thoughts about the breath. Thoughts about taking a deep breath. Thoughts about how good it is to feel that air coming in. Thoughts about how good it feels to let it all go. Thoughts about how the chest is moving up and down. Thoughts about what the body is doing. And so when we're thinking about things that are happening in the present moment, those things are wholesome. So long as we keep thinking thoughts that have to do with the present moment, we can stay in the present moment. But if we have a deep thought about, oh, this feels so good, and then Aunt Susie, and we had this argument, and you know, now it's gone. <laughs> now I'm back into Aunt Susie's argument again, rather than, okay, never mind, start again, come back to the breath, and let's stay in this present moment. So a lot of it is training the mind to stay in the present moment by understanding that that's wholesome. Eventually then, we, uh, as we develop real skill, we begin to see the Four Noble Truths in the present moment. So when we investigate the Four Noble Truths, it's not like taking an exam at a university and getting all the answers right about all of the possible descriptions and the concepts. No, in fact, the Buddha talks about it in the sense of this is suffering. <laughs> this is it. I've got it. Aha, I see you. This is it. Okay. And uh, the, also, this is the cause of suffering. Mara, I see you. This is it. And then we also, uh, after we come out of that, now we can understand, oh, wow, this is the third noble truth. This is freedom from that, that mm. dissatisfaction. I can actually come into a state of satisfaction. And so now we understand that when we can get out of that, um, out of that state of um, unsatisfactoriness or dissatisfaction into a state of satisfaction using this part of the path that we're talking about, we gain confidence in it. We know that, well, this is the right way to go. I can see it in action. That right sati and right effort brings on right attitude. And so we gain confidence in that path. And so we begin to get um, developing more and more skills at it. And so this is the basic practice where we get started. And if we continue this over and over again, it will begin to um, bring us to a state of satisfaction and that satisfaction is actually based on success for instance if you got into a fight with someone and you lost and he won he's probably going to have more satisfaction than you do you want a do-over you're not satisfied <laughs> with losing <laughs> but if you can win then that feeling of being a winner, feeling in charge of this, feeling like you can do it. Now we have room for satisfaction. So success and satisfaction work together. 
And along with that comes the feeling of security. If I can do it and I'm satisfied with what I've done, now I, I can feel secure. I don't have to feel afraid. I don't need a do-over to feel good about myself. I've already done a good job in the first place. Okay, so this is part of the, of the practice that we have is to gain that self-confidence. Even if we're calling it self, it doesn't matter right now. What we're doing is we're coming out of the old habits and creating new ones and gaining confidence that we can do that so that every time we can, going back to that analogy of the, of the emperor of his own pile of dirt, Basically, there's only two positions, and that is either being buried under it, being a hindrance, or being on top of it. Most of the students get stuck on that intermediate place of trying to crawl out of it when there's nothing to crawl out of. Uh You're already, once you recognize that you're under that pile of dirt, out you pop. That popping out, that's that, aha, I see you. And so part of that I see you is, you know, throwing that stuff off. It's like, what the heck is this? Throw it out. Okay. And so now we're no longer in a state of being under our own pile of dirt. Now we're up on top of it. And this is all about to do with the attitude. So we see how right effort to wake up to the fact that we're under that pile of dirt. To take that deep breath and say, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not under that pile of dirt. That was an illusion that I had created. And my new illusion is I'm on top of it. So yeah, are you blowing away the dirt? <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> are you blowing away the dirt? <laughs> no. Well, in a way. let us recognize that it's actually not of much value. It's not. It's actually quite empty of, of value. Your past is dead, it's gone. But we cling to the past as if it had some value, for in fact it doesn't. Even for a carpenter, the fact that he has carpented many, many chairs in the past has nothing to do with the carpenting he's doing on this chair right now. And if he relies upon the chairs he made last week, then he's going to screw this one up. So it, so it all has to do with our past has got no value other than the skills that it helped us to develop. That's the, that's the value of the past is that we come out of the past with new skills if we're practicing correctly. And so this pile of dirt that we're talking about, in the Pali, the Pali word is lokatara. Loka Tara. The word loka is like the English word location, and it means the world. In fact, in Thai language, Rop Lok means around the world. Loka in, in Sinhalese is world. It means world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in English, we get the word location and uh, 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 local and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so this Loka Tara means to be above the world. What world? The world I created. The emperor of my own pile of dirt. 
this is basically what it means. And in the, uh, it's sometimes translated as uh, transcendent, perhaps transcendental. But another word that's often used that uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa liked was the word supramundane. It's above the mundane world. And so this is why we talk about it in the sense of the supramundane dhamma. This is not the dhamma for ordinary people. This is the dhamma that is above the world of religion, the, the world of uh, the purification of one's mind by this constant practice over and over and over again of mindfulness. Mindfulness giving rise to right effort, right effort giving rise to um, right attitude. And all of it is based upon right view. And so we practice that over and over again. And how we practice it is with Anapanasati, with the breath and with gladdening the mind and these other aspects. And so you can see how Anapanasati and the Four Noble Truths fit together completely like that. Um, and that the deeper our practice goes, the more that fit seems so correct. It's like a kind of, of surprise. An example of that is at one time, uh, the hump of South America was in the under part of the handle of Africa. And you can look on the map and you can say, those things must have fit together one time or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but now they've done enough research to say, wait a minute, the animals here and the animals there are very, very close together. How can that be if they're actually separated by an ocean? The answer is at one time they were not. They were stuck together like that. Okay, well, that's the way that we look at the Eightfold Noble Path and the practice of Anapanasati, is that it's just one practice. And that uh, the Satipatthana is part of that. In fact, the Buddha says that we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the Satipatthana. That's why the uh, Anapanasati is arranged in those four tetrads of the body, the feeling, the mind, and the mind's objects. Those are the four uh, foundations of mindfulness. But Anapanasati is designed around that using the Eightfold Noble Path. So now things are beginning to fit together like this. And then we begin to see, okay, well, if I'm actually practicing the Eightfold Noble Path and I'm practicing the Satipatthana, we can begin to see how these things work together. Uh, so that an example of this is that in the Satipatthana Sutta, it says, well, what are the things to be mindful of, or what are we going to look at in the sense of the uh, Dhammanupassana? And the first item on the list is the hindrances. We've got to see those hindrances. The second item on the list is the five aggregates. Well, the five aggregates are already associated with the Satipatthana. Then we begin to understand that oh, now the next item on the list is the actual Eightfold and Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths. But in the Anapanasati Sutta, it says that we're practicing the Satipatthana for the fulfillment of the seven factors of enlightenment. And, and the beginning student will say, tilt, bonkers, 
this 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 sutta does not fit that sutta. Something's adjourned here. Something's not fitting. Until we begin to understand that, oh, wait a minute, no. The Sambhojana or the seven factors of enlightenment are fulfilled. And when they're fulfilled, they become unremitting, but it's the same path factors of the Eightfold Noble Path. And in fact, it, the Sambhojana starts out in the sense of it is unremitting mindfulness. Now, when we begin the path, our mindfulness is quite spotty. We're developing it. But once we get it practiced correctly, now it becomes unremitting. The next one then would be unremitting investigation. We keep looking and keep looking and keep investigating. And that's nothing but the uh, right view practiced over and over again. We keep inspecting, we keep looking. And then the third item, which is right effort, then becomes energy. It's unremitting energy. In other words, things kind of pop into place. Things happen because we've got, we've got the effort built up to where now it's easy. And then the next item on the list uh, of the Sambhojana is actually seems out of place, and that's unremitting pity. Well, pity is the poly word that has to do with the quality of success. And that success and satisfaction actually then is sukha. And so we have to practice this Eightfold and Noble Path until it is really up to scratch. And the up to scratch quality is the word unremitting. It keeps coming back and coming back and coming back so that it's going to be there when we need it most. And so this is the way then that the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Sutta fit directly together with the Eightfold Noble Path, and it becomes just one teaching. And so next time when we talk, we'll begin to look at that second noble truth, the cause of suffering, because in fact, the cause of the suffering is in fact these hindrances. And so as we begin to understand the second noble truth and how it works together, we, we begin to get the attitude of, wait a minute, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to be in a state of joy and pleasure instead, because now I understand it's my choice. That Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in the sense of karma, uh, kind of in the old traditional way, that everyone is subject to their karma. Everyone is subject to all of their past actions. And another way of talking about that is, is that that's the Sankara. That's the built up junk that we have. But Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is talking about it in this way. You can either follow your comma or you can make a choice to not follow that comma. That you can become free from it. You are not bound to continue to repeat the old bad samsara over and over again that you can make a choice to come out of it. In that regard, teaching of the Buddha, not magic. It's not a magical thing. It's actually, you can make the choice to come out of your old comma. And that, that choice that you're making then is actually the choice of feeling like a winner, feeling on top of your game feeling like you can do this, and the only way that we can develop those kind of feelings is through consistent 
correct practice that keeps giving us good results over and over again until we gain that confidence that this is the path. This is the right way to do it. And that's where we come to that third doubt. That third doubt is, is this the right way to do it or not? And the answer is yes. So now I can say I'm free from that first doubt because I know that it's up to me to fix this. I'm free from the second doubt because I know I can do it. And I'm also free from the third doubt because now I know I've got the right tools to do the job. And so this is what is meant then by the eradication of that third fetter of doubt is because we have knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path. That's a very important phrase. Memorize that. Knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. Because we've been practicing as if what was not the path was the path. And that's why we're not getting any progress is because we confuse what is the path and what is not the path. But now that we know for sure beyond a shadow of doubt what is the path and what is not the path, we no longer go to the area of not the path anymore and we stay on the path because we know that if we get off the path that there's going to be stumbling and falling and whatnot like that. I think about it in the sense of the Eightfold Noble Path is not a journey or a destination. It's merely being on the path. And that the, uh, the alternate is being in the ditch. And most people spend their lives in the ditch <laughs> rather than getting up on the path. And we don't even care where the path goes so long as we're not in the ditch anymore. Now we can boogie on down the path. And so when we think of it like that, that basically these hindrances is the ditch that's on both sides of the path. And all we do is get off the path, which means we forget our sati. We're not taking right effort or something in that regard. And so we wind up back in hindrances again, which are the ditch. And so when we come to understand what is the ditch, we can avoid it more and more so we can stay on the road. And the road itself is delightful. And so we take great delight in this, in the path of the, of the Buddha. It's actually quite a delightful way of living. But the first knowledge that we have to come to is the knowledge. This is the first knowledge is no matter how obstructed the mind gets with hindrance, I can clean it out and come back to this present moment. That's, that's your first step out of the world. That's the first step. The knowledge that I can clean out the mind and come back to this present moment uh, is a super mundane point. It's super mundane. It's not part of the world. It is noble. It's a factor of the path, and it's not held by ordinary people. Ordinary people are victims. Ordinary people still have doubts about whose job it is. They have doubts about can they do the job. But we're coming to the point here of that we have knowledge and vision of what is the path, and so we have that confidence built up that uh, the poly word is shraddha. You probably heard that word before. And it means not faith, 
It normally is translated as faith, Christian influence, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but Shraddha is not faith. Shraddha is confidence based upon repeated success. Okay. And the, what was success? Sati, waking up. Wakey, wakey, look at what you're doing. Over and over and over again, coming out of the bad feelings, coming out of the junk thoughts, into being happy in this present moment. So do you have any questions about this? Other than putting it into practice. um, Yes, that's exactly what it is. My job is to cheerlead you, to be your cheerleader, to get you to practice. Mm -hmm. The practice is not necessarily sitting on a cushion in a meditation hall because you can't carry that meditation hall around with you when the cops stop you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be able to handle your life out there, not just on the cushion. So that means that we need to practice at any time of the day to okay. remember to take a deep breath, to remember to stop doing what we're doing and do something beautiful instead. Uh-huh, when take, I see you, Myra. When you're taking this deep breath, is it like in the Goyanka style Anapana where it's they focus on the nose, or do you focus on the diaphragm to make sure you're getting or the whole body? Or the whole body? How, is there or is there no focus? I would say that the that the whole body is the answer, but not all at the same time. Because you're not ready to do it all at the same time. Right. Yep. Okay, okay, yep. okay. That's a skill to be developed. Okay. Now, in the Goenka retreat, they do it in a systematic way, starting yeah. at the top of the head and moving down to the feet. Uh, that, they... that has a value to it, but also you can do it the more natural way of just being aware of the breathing. Keep watching, keep yeah, noticing. You, just notice, you can notice your breath going, it doesn't go in one go, does it? It's gradual, and it goes out again gradually, so... Mm-hmm. If you, that's probably a, a stuck place to. Okay. Well, we can think of it in the sense that a deep breath is going to fill the belly with the yep. diaphragm. It's going yep. to open the chest, and it's even going to raise the shoulders a bit. But that's a yep. full breath, not a hundred percent. Because no matter, even with a really deep breath with like that, you can still take in a little more air. And we're not trying to top it off. We're just trying to get it up, get it full, and then breathe it out and this will actually slow things down because most people are breathing faster because they're not breathing fully and so this slows down the breathing so that we can get it more energized this will actually if you're doing it properly over time it will begin to give you a tingling feeling a vibrantly alive feeling okay this is to be investigated also well, allow really? yourself to feel really, really good with the breathing. Yeah, open it up. I mean, when you do that, your panting one is just like everything. You can feel it. It's it's not just it's, it's vibrations everywhere. So, it's, um, but again, with the breathing, is it nasally or just the mouth or the, na- the nose or, uh, or whatever's comfortable in terms of when you're practicing? It, it depends. It depends upon the condition of the sinuses. But let's look at it from this perspective. 
that the job of the nose is to filter and warm the air as it's coming in. And if we breathe in with the mouth, it will give us a dry mouth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but breathing out, we want to kind of let it all out and any, any hole we've got will do. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. So breathing in through the nose and then breathing out in any old way possible, including nose and mouth and go (sighs) like that and just let it come out. But when we breathe in again, we, it's better to breathe in through the nose if we can. And it's also good for us if we can't breathe through the nose, then we should know that rather than ignoring it, we should do something to open the passage so that we can breathe. Okay. Okay. And there's many, many ways to do that. Here in Thailand, they have a kind of a eucalyptus stick that's, a, that's possible. So this oh, is yeah. one, one thing. But mm-hmm. in ancient India, they had another technique. And that was that you hold water in the palm of your hand and then close one nostril and breathe in and then close the other nostril with the other side of the hand for breathing in so that we can get a, um, this mixture in uh, for drainage. Now, the, the mixture that I'm talking about it can either be, it can actually be nothing but cold water. That works. Better still is salty water. This is yeah. one of the reasons why it's good to go to the beach is because it really drains out the sinuses. <laughs> okay? But an even more effective one is to use warm salt water. Okay. Because the warm salt water will help break up the mucus so that you can actually start to breathe easier. And another one that helps quite a lot is um, having uh, the Corona-19 virus shut all of the planes down and the cars yeah, stop so that we can get some good air to breathe. <laughs> it's, we noticed, yeah, it's pretty brilliant <laughs> in that respect. There's a lot of wild animals coming into the garden and... Uh, in the, the nature, we had a fox uh, in the garden yesterday, which is, they, they only come at, at, out at night. This is in the daytime. Birds, loads of birds, you know, out. So I had to talk about that because we live in nature all the time. But that's interesting that even in, in south of London, that the animal life, because the people are not around, they're sitting in they're the house. Right. <laughs> they're taking over. <laughs> Just like Chernobyl. <laughs> There's actually an area in South Carolina that, that most people don't know about. It's down at, uh, it's on the Savannah River. And it, it has an area on both sides of the river. But this is actually uh, a part of the river that's a delta. And there's almost no roads going in there. This is what's called the Savannah River Project, and this is the dumping ground for nuclear waste. It's a big dumping ground for nuclear waste, and so they very much limit the traffic on this river, and there's hardly any uh, roads into this area. And guess what about the wildlife? This is a natural wildlife sanctuary. Everything is out there because the humans are not allowed into that area. And it's vast. It's a huge area of South Carolina. Hundreds of square miles. Okay. And so, um, 
humans off the planet, <laughs> or at least at least off the streets. <laughs> so uh, we can think of it in that way. Also, people talk about it in the sense of being isolated. Well, isolated has the word ice in it, so we're already going in that kind of direction. A much better word to use would be solitude. Because okay. solitude has a delicious quality. And so what we're seeking is solitude, but basically... We seek first solitude from the world. That's why we sit in the meditation hall, is to get away from the world so that we can have one kind of solitude will help us get the other kind of solitude, which means being free from that world mentally. Once we get free from it physically, we can be free from it mentally. Daddy. Huh? I go to beach. Okay, you're going to go to the beach, huh? Are you going to wear a face mask? Okay. I mean, we've been telling each other it's like the it is what's happening to humanity. You, you're all going on retreat. The if, we could argue, if they would realize that, if they could recognize it, this is a marvelous time for the whole the whole country to go on retreat. Also, a lot of the vices like gambling, um, prostitution, drinking, drinking. Uh, it's, it's all gone. It's all gone. There's, yeah. no sport, there's no sport, there's no sports betting, you know. And also people for food, you're not buying luxuries anymore, you're <laughs> buying the essentials. The essentials. What you need. Which means that nobody can follow their vices, nobody can do all the things that they want to do, and they're yeah. miserable. Exactly. exactly. Rather than well, understanding that they're actually free from that stuff, that that's actually yeah. hindrances to being happy. Yeah, yeah. But that realization will probably put them onto the path. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I'll add that well, to the end. Actually, then, what we're saying is, is perhaps it would be good for the world's economy and the people if the, um, uh, the what do they call it, the, uh, the quarantine or the, um, uh, the stay-at-home rules lasted not just one month, but two months, three months, four months, five months, people get used to it. Then they be, in six months, they begin to like it. And so when the economy starts back up, nobody wants to go back to work. Hey, I've been enjoying myself at home. <laughs> and again, with the economy, it, you're finding that eventually countries, like some countries are already doing this, they're funding their people. You know, you don't have to have a job anymore to... That's what's going to happen, probably will happen. Which is, again, amongst life. <laughs> you know? Well, the people of the world make enough money to support the people of the world. And yet that doesn't happen. No, mm -hmm. no, well, they keep all the money and the poor people mm -hmm. go hungry. Mm -hmm. And so we're uh, planet Earth is actually rearranging something. And, and oh, yes. you, you could say it like this, and I'll have to introduce it in the sense that if we're going to use magic, we have to know when we're using it. Okay, so in that regard, here's a piece of magic for you. All right. The, um, the poetic justice department of the giant comma machine in the sky <laughs> is colluding with Mother Nature, Mother, uh, Mother Earth, for her to take a breather 
by taking the breath away from the humans. Yes. Yes. But is I it, mean, is that poetic justice or what? And <laughs> <laughs> <I> deserve. <laughs> And so now you know that this is poetic justice. This is the big comma machine doing something nice for humanity. We can say, thank you, mother. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and so we can all take a breather to all take a rest. You probably have noticed if you're that close to London, that the air is cleaner. Now. Who lives in London. Miles from London. I mean, we're, our air is much cleaner than London, but even now we can notice a difference before and after. So it's just the, the sky is so blue. The sun shines much brighter. Isn't that yeah. a surprise? The sky yeah, is blue. Really? <laughs> no, 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 not not where we live. Normally it's like grey and overcast, but some of the days it's it's like crystal clear. It's so so nice, you know. Just um. If, you, if people had good air like that to breathe, they would really like Anapanasati instead of yeah. breathing the crap that we've gotten used to breathing. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the poetic justice part of it is that um, um, that Mother Earth and the coronavirus is giving Mother Earth a breather by exactly. uh, uh, for humans, they're taking your breath away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, um, Matt and I have just talked, uh, we'll probably put his video on, but his father was in the hospital with the coronavirus. Oh, really? Machines and everything. Is and, he from uh, the UK, US? Sorry? Where, where is he from? London. Oh, okay. Oh, really? And so his father was in the hospital on the uh, ventilators and whatnot, and, and uh, Matt would, uh, kept calling him on the phone, telling him to breathe. Keep mm. breathing, keep breathing. And now he's been discharged from the hospital. Okay, good. And that one of the things that they were talking about was that um, uh, the physiotherapists that are in the London hospitals are doing mm -hmm. exactly what I'm telling them to do to go to the coronavirus patients and tell them to consciously breathe, intentionally mm. breathe, get as much oxygen <laughs> in as you can. Deep breathing, isn't it? Pardon? Deep breathing. Yes. Okay. Keeping people alive. Mm -hmm. If we could teach people that, there would probably be much slower uh, incidence of death that mm. people literally stop breathing because it's too much work to breathe. It is, yeah. But if you think about it in another direction, that's exactly how almost everybody dies, no matter what virus they've got. Is that when breathing yeah. becomes too much work is when we die. The first thing that happens is we stop breathing and then we die. So keep breathing. As long as you're breathing, you're alive. As long as you're doing it intentionally, you're really alive. And that's a major aspect of the teaching of the Buddha, is being alive and knowing that you're alive and knowing that you can do this. And taking that confidence. And that, that's just one of the reasons why uh, the, the Buddha was known as a lion and the whole idea of the lion's roar. The lion is the can-do attitude. We can do this. 
So I ask you before we uh, hang up on each other, can you do this? Yes. Yes, yes definitely. You can, huh? Okay, that's the right attitude. You can do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting, though, because sometimes, I mean, most of the ones we've been taught, you know, I say it's natural, but it's the just the, the shallow breathing is what we've been used to. That's talk, the normal talk. breathing. Yeah, that's what you call normal, but um, it's interesting because sometimes in your meditation, you just go deep breaths, and it's but because it's not, it's you're not controlling it, you just let it go anyway. But you know, but it's, it's your body's trying to do that anyway sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and things you, I sometimes my attention goes down to that as well. So, but, but again, with the twim, you'll tend to focus on your mind. Because initially it's on the heart and then you it'll drift up your attention drifts up to your mind and then you radiate your metta from there but um so you don't try to go back down again to your body or anything like that well in that regard this is what we're doing with the development of metta the first development of the metta would be aha i see you mara that's actually the start of metta and it also has to do with becoming friends with your whole in everything in your life, including starting with your body, your feelings, your mind, become friendly with it. That's in fact what the word meta means is kindness or friendliness. Kaliametta is the, uh, the spiritual friend. And so our, we are our own first spiritual friend that we stop being hard on ourselves because that's just making ourselves unhappy. But people are hard on themselves because somebody else was hard on them when they were children, and so they're just keeping it up. That's that's our comma. But we have a choice. Are we going to follow the comma, or are we going to do feel the way we want to feel? <laughs> okay. All right. So we'll finish now, and we'll see you guys within a week or so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.